Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio, this week with Vic Reeves. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlie Higson. Over the past month, I've been joined by some of my splendid friends like Paul Whitehouse, Bob Mortimer and Arabella Weir. For the final episode, I'd like to welcome to Scala Radio a chap I've worked with for many years and someone who was voted, along with Bob Mortimer, a member of the ninth greatest comedy act of all time. It's Vic Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the ninth. Yes, I don't know where this information came from, but my researchers have told me, yes, the ninth greatest comedy act of all time. I don't know who was voted one. I mean, I really feel that introducing like that, I should play some of your classic old sort of light entertainment coming on to a show music that you would always start your shows with. I could do <laughs> it. There we are. That was there it. I mean, do you... Do you do you think you have an affinity with that sort of cheesy light I mean, entertainment music? Well, do you know what? I, I lived in Deptford, and when I was doing the big night out at the, well, uh, uh, first of all at a pub, and then at the Albany Theatre in Deptford, right next to the Albany Theatre was a market, Deptford Market, and in there was a load of KPM records, which are mm. German um, library music records. So I had those, and that basically based the hen- entire turn or act if you like (laughs) those records which weren't really used because this was in the 80s and quite a lot of that music was from the 60s so it wasn't there wasn't that much of a a distance between it so there were Mm. entertainment music not like the sort of light entertainment music you get now but they kind of held that that cheesiness yeah and i mean i mean it's interesting that since then Library music's become quite a thing, you know. There's lots of sort of aficionados and playlists and people who 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 adore listening to it. I know, and it is, but it is great stuff. And I had a huge collection of them, which then disappeared somewhere. But I used to actually really like listening to it. You know, um, Alan Hawksmore, is it Hawksmore? Hawksworth? Anyway, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I really liked it. I was actually it went beyond a joke with me. <laughs> So now we are going to go back now to to sort of talk about the first time that you're aware of music that wasn't pop music, I suppose, that um, uh, classical or or you've chosen a track actually from from the musicals. You've chosen Oklahoma. Was that something that loomed large in your childhood? Yeah, my um, grandma and her girlfriend who lived in a flat in Leeds, were oh, right. musical musical uh, followers, and like they, they had a, a gramophone, which it just had South Pacific, Oklahoma, the sound of music, all those yeah things, that, and uh, and I, that's all I listened to when I was there. And I kind of not, I wouldn't say it was under duress. I think I actually I really liked it, and but that's all you'd hear in their house. Yeah, and. Um, and then that sort of seep, seeps into you. You know, you start off well. I'm not sure about this, but then it becomes such a sort of part of your your yeah. childhood, doesn't it? I think I was probably seven, eight. You know, uh, but Oklahoma was my favourite, and has remained a favourite ever since. I think it's really good. that would put me in a really good mood if I was feeling a bit down when I woke up and I put that on. You know, get in my car, stick that on. That would put me in a good mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> and I mean, do you go? Do you go to musicals at all? Do you? Is it something that has stayed with you, or is uh, it just the memory of it? Well, no, I don't go to. I, I'm trying to think. The last time I went to a musical, and I took me 
mum and dad, I think about 25 years ago. <laughs> that was probably the last time I went to a musical. Do you go? I'm not a big musical fan. I've seen a few over the years sometimes because a friend's been in it or it's just been a show that's been recommended. I uh, I am more of an opera person. Yeah. I, it's the, it, I have to confess, it's the, it's the style of acting you get in musicals that sort of puts me off. That sort of big grins, big hands, out front, yeah, slapping but, your thighs. Type. Yeah, it might turn you off, but it turns me on. <laughs> I, I like those big corny gestures. Yes, I, well, I suppose it, it, it's, it does feed into... To, to LE, to light entertainment, to all those kind of, in the 70s, you, it, a lot of comedy shows, they would have those big sort of musical acts on and they were very much light entertainment. Yeah, and I don't know why it is I like them. I think I like them for all the wrong reasons. Like, I've pro it's just from a cynical point of view. Yes, but you see, I think beneath that cynicism, you 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 do have it goes it it plugs you right back into your childhood. <laughs> but I mean, did your did your mum and dad listen to much music around the house? No, uh, not really. We had a record player and uh, I could probably list every record because I think it was only about five. There was Tchaikovsky and that was a kind of nod to classical. The rest yeah. of it, Val Dunican, <laughs> music from the Greek islands. Which was some, yes. I think everyone, I don't know what it was in, in the 60s. Everyone seemed to be fascinated with music from the Greek islands. I don't know, well, I don't know whether it was on the back of like Nana Muscuri and then... Um... Later on, Demise Roussos, but or, or or that sort of growth of package holidays, I suppose, where people would go to Spain and Greece and they would buy, you know, uh, flamenco music from Spain or, yeah, music from the Greek islands. I think, yes, it probably was that because you'd get a, there'd be a photograph, a technicolor photograph of a couple at a harbour enjoying some scam. <laughs> now I'm going to play now a track that I listened to when I was a kid. And I've said before on these shows that I tended to go for the sort of bombastic stuff with big, uh, like 1812 Overture, which had actual cannons on it. And this one for me, uh, it's from Prokofiev's ballet, Romeo and Juliet. It's the dance of the nights. And it's a piece of music that's been used in tons of kind of war films and things, because it is like, here come the soldiers. Uh, so let's hear that. That was Dance of the Nights from Prokofiev's Ballet Romeo and Juliet. That's the sort of stuff, I think, as a kid that, that gets you into that, that music. Is that what you liked? Yes, I, I, I did. I, I, you know, the obvious big songs that were kind of loud and, and rousing. I mean, you said your parents had Tchaikovsky. Do you remember which Tchaikovsky that would have been? No, I can't remember. I think it's probably the greatest hits. Yes. Well, there were. There were those good... Uh, 1812 with the cannons. Yes. I've, am I wrong? Did they once use real cannons? Well, they do. If you go to, um, I remember going to see, uh, and I talked to Paul Whitehouse about this when he was on, uh, going to see a concert, which included the 1812 at the Royal Albert Hall. And they did have cannons up in the the high, the high balconies. Obviously, they weren't firing real shells. So they're firing, can you fire blanks out of a cannon? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you can. 
just that's bit. what they do. You know, when they have military tattoos and things, they're not all using real bullets <laughs> and shells. I was wondering where the cannonballs went through some, <laughs> some window. <laughs> I bet somebody somewhere, uh, some minor prince with too much money, said, I'm going to put on the 1812 in the local park with real cannons and cannonballs and aim them at the local peasants' houses. <laughs> yeah, they ended up smashing through someone's front window and landing in their porridge. <laughs> and they go, oh, no, they're not playing the 8 and 12 again, are they? <laughs> this is reminded me of a story which is perfect. When I was at school, we, used, we got the choice of doing sport or community service, which meant that you went around to an old person's house and dug the garden up. And I, was, I went around to this old lady's house, and all she wanted was for company. So we'd sit and watch George Formby films and <laughs> she'd drink sherry. And I suspect we might have as well. But um, she, she, in her front room, there was a hole in the window. She said, in the Second World War, a plane, a bomber crashed. And when it crashed, the, it fired off one of the bullets from the back end of it, which <laughs> went through her front window, which was then covered in sellotape and lodged in a piano. <laughs> and she shut, and the bullet was still there in the piano. Really? And she'd worked out how to play it. The sky. Up and down and around the bullet. <laughs> that's absolutely perfectly true. Yeah, well, that's the sort of childhood incident that could only really happen to, to Mr. Vic Reeves, who is my guest today here on um, Scala Radio, my mini-series, Charlie Higson and Friends. And it's, and it's a great pleasure to have uh, a very old friend, Vic Reeves, who I know, of course, as Jim Moyer. Yeah, most people. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I, we're going to uh, later on, actually, I'd like to talk to you that idea of, of changing one's name. A Night on the Bear Mountain, also known as Night on Bald Mountain by Mazorksky. Uh, Vic, why did you choose A Night on the Bear Mountain? I think it's probably, I've heard, I'd heard it in a film somewhere and my wife Nancy and I were talking about this great piece of music. And so we, the great thing about um, nowadays is you don't have to uh, go to the library and look through Yes. Piles of records. So we went on a massive search to find it, and I said, that's it, and I don't know what film it's from, but it was kind of a memory of a film. And I just thought it was a fantastic piece of music and a really good length as well. It's, <laughs> it's there on its own. So we, whenever we've done um, our live shows, which are, we've not done that many, really, tours. So that's Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. Yeah, uh, Reeves and Mortimer on tour. Uh, we, I think the... We, we've always used, well, at my behest, classical music. Um, yes, yeah, so well, when we had Bo Bob on, he was talking about using the Vaughan Williams, the yeah, opening this. to the Sea Symphony, and, and that's now become one of his favourite pieces of music. And yeah. it has so many uh, meanings for him, obviously, because that was his comeback music after his, after his heart problems. That was the music that brought him back onto stage and back into the, into the world. That that was from a tour that we did a long time ago. The sea, the um, the tour music. Don't that, spoil his story. <laughs> <laughs> you know he hasn't got a clue, really. The uh, 
the music we had on for his comeback after his heart off was Mazorsky. Night on Night on the Bald Mountain. Yeah, well, that film that you were talking about it is possibly Fantasia, ah. which I which I went to see not when it came out because it came out before I was born, but it, it had a re-release when I was probably about ten, I think, in yeah. the sixties, and went to see it. And it's a fantastic sequence, a night on the bald mountain, because it's got this kind of the top of the mountain comes alive and it becomes this huge, great demon who comes swooping down. So that's the one. Yes. And, 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 you know, I think for so many kids of our generation, that was an introduction to classical music, which is what the the film was designed to be. Uh, And in fact, when Paul was on, I played writer spring Stravinsky and said, you know, I can't hear that without seeing dinosaurs. And again, I can't, uh, listen to Night on a Bald Mountain without picturing that that demon coming awake. That's the one. Now it's all coming back to me. I'm going to have to watch the film again now. Yeah, well, it's 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 uh, it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. It's got some amazing stuff in it. It's got some quite extraordinary stuff in it as well. He's Mazorsky um, was uh, his character, a strange character. I think he was, I think, a massive alcoholic. I think he died of booze in an asylum somewhere. There's a painting of him, and he's he looks about as rough as you could get. <laughs> How did he create something like that if he looks and was that rough? You know, I met Paul Whitehouse at university and through my very good friend at university, Alan Davidson, I met my guest here on Scala Radio, on Charlie Higson and Friends, my, tonight's friend, Vic Reeves, who, when I first heard about you from Alan, uh, he said he had a very funny and interesting and amusing friend called Chin. You were called Chin at the time. Where did that come from? Because I had a little beard on me, on my chin, a goatee at that oh. time. Now I was trying to remember when this was. Was it? Uh, it was oh, nineteen eighty or, or earlier. Uh, probably early mid eighties. Sometime we probably first met. Yes, I seem to remember you had dyed red hair. Yes, and you had a little chin beard. And, been... and I remember you wearing a beret. Did you wear a beret, or did I just think you were the type of person who should? No, that would be 1981. <laughs> I was living in Brixton, and I was at the peak of my bebop phase. Right. A lot of avant-garde jazz. I was listening to Sun Ra and um, things like that. So I grew a little uh, goatee, <laughs> or a beret, and had a striped shirt on, like <laughs> jazz should look. So, I mean, you you came across as a sort of archetypal art student, and I've never been quite sure. Were you actually an art student? Yeah, I was. Yeah, but where about where at? At John Cass. In, oh right. And but when I met you, that was uh, yeah, our friend, our mutual friend, Alan Davidson, who I grew up with in Darlington, and then went to Norwich, and then met. So I met you and uh, and Paul, and I believe Harry. Well, no, Harry wasn't at uh, Norwich with us. He was at York, but we did hang out with him. And certainly when we were doing music, he's, uh, Harry Enfield did work as our roadie on one tour. <laughs> I remember <laughs> you know, I was in my band, The Higsons. You, The Higsons, your, your pop, rock, funk area. Um, and then we went to a party somewhere. Did you live there where that, that everyone knocked the walls down in the house? Yes. Well, that I think that was the night that the, the our band supported the fall at yeah. at UEA, the university, and half the band lived in a flat, and for some reason we, we all went back to a party there, including um, Marky e. Smith, 
And at some point during the party, it was decided to knock through a wall. Well, um, what I heard was the, the, the flat and the, the building was going to get demolished the next day. It was above a television shop, I seem to remember. <laughs> it's one of those stories that has is, that is, that is sort of taken on. Bits and pieces have been added and taken away from well, it over the years. For fact, because I was actually in the toilet once when a <laughs> came through the wall. And I, I stayed there overnight and slept on a pile of rubble. It did happen. It was there was walls being knocked. Yes, no, I mean, no, the, 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 yes, the, the hole was knocked through into the bathroom. But yes, no, I mean, it's really interesting, the friends that you meet back then, and you have no idea how they might stay with you through life. And, you know, I had very good f- friends in those days who I haven't seen for many years, but some of them I have and have kept up with and your life goes through all these changes. And, and that for me is the biggest sadness of this, of the, the, the sort of lockdown that we've had over the last year is all those students who should be making those amazing contacts that will have such importance to them in the rest of their life yeah. aren't able to do that. There's a whole year taken away from that. And, I, and that's a real shame because, you know, between us, we've 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 gone on and and worked together and stayed friends, and of course, we've had mutual friends in Paul and Bob, and uh, obviously Bob was your partner, almost mm-hmm. like a and a comedy partnership is very much like a marriage. So how do you feel about him moonlighting, cheating on you with <laughs> Mr. Whitehouse and going fishing in the same way that Whitehouse is cheating on me? Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about that? No, uh, well, it's. Uh... Uh, we've never we've we've always worked we've worked together for 30 years we've had something on tv every year for 30 years apart from this year um but you know he's gone off and done stuff and so have i i mean was i moonlighting when i went off and did coronation street or very <laughs> things that I was, yeah, um so yeah you go off and do do your own thing yeah, no, but I mean, it's really interesting where those partnerships grow, because I thought in some ways Paul was unique that he was part of two different comedy partnerships, one with me and one with Harry Enfield. And it's really interesting now that he's able to forge a third one with Bob. So I don't know what that means. I think the fishing show is more of a leisure thing, isn't it? Well, you know, it's been uh, it's been very therapeutic for them both, particularly for, for yeah, Bob, I think. It's a, it's a therapeutic. I, it's too therapeutic for me to go fishing. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good euphemism. I'm going to play play a piece in a minute from Swan Lake, a very famous piece of music uh, from Tchaikovsky. And my guest here on Scholar Radio, Vic Reeves, was was talking earlier about his parents having the ubiquitous Best of Tchaikovsky <laughs> album in their small record collection. My parents also had a tiny record collection. They had about four or five classical albums, including a couple of those kind of best of classics. And they had one pop music album, which they'd bought because they were having a party and they didn't have any pop music. So they thought they'd better buy a record. They bought one album and played it on repeat all evening. And it was actually by a band called Sounds Incorporated. So uh, I have a great love of that record. What was on it? It was, well, actually there were a few, sort of pop rock interpretations of pieces of classical music, such as the William Tell Overture and uh, Ride of the Light Cavalry. And I used to listen to them a lot, sitting on the uh, arm of my sofa, pretending I was a cavalryman. (laughs) But, um, well, let's let's listen to Swan Lake, and then afterwards I'll tell you why I chose that. And I'd like to talk to you, uh, Jim, stroke Vic, about some of the other things you do, including your art. But first of all, let's listen to the most famous bit from Swan Lake. 
That was uh, from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, the famous scene. I don't know if it's got a name, but uh, it, it, it includes a swan. Yeah, and it, was, <laughs> it was made famous by Public Image Limited on the Metal Box album. Well, it's uh, a lot of people have done versions of that. Uh, Madness used to do a Scar version of it. I mean, yeah. it's such a well-known piece of music. Um, and the reason I've chosen it is because going into lockdown last year, it threw everybody's lives kind of up in the air and... and People did lots of different things. Suddenly you were home and, and, and a lot of people said, I'm going to learn Russian or read Proust. Or, but most people found that they couldn't really concentrate on anything. But I, I found that by doing what I didn't normally do, uh, which was, was, was right, I could in, enjoy myself. And I started doing a lot of art. And one of the things I took up was doing um, a digital art on my iPad. And on the back of that, I entered a competition to make a short film about Boris Karloff. So I made an animated film about Boris Karloff where I drew all the artwork on my iPad and my son Frank managed to animate it for me. And I needed some music through it. And I went back to that piece of Swan Lake because it was the music that was used for the original Dracula film with Bela Lugosi. Was it? Yeah, and it, because it's got a very spooky opening with those suspended strings going, and then it goes into that melody. And when you put a bit of thunder over it, it does sound quite sort of spooky, but also romantic in that kind of. I would never, I've never put those two together. But I really enjoyed that, and it was great using a different side of my creativity, going back to art, which I'd always loved doing. I almost went to art college, but my guest here on Charlie Hickson and Friends on Scala Radio tonight is is Vic Reeves, who is. Increasingly recently, Jim, you've been uh, making a name for yourself with your art, which I've always known is amazing because you always used to do fantastic illustrations in your scripts when I was working on your shows with you. Um, but you've been doing a lot more painting in the last few years. So, I mean, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've always done it. That's what led me to do Vic Reeves. I, uh, I spent all my childhood as a kid in my bedroom painting and listening to music and uh, you know, one of those sort of like locked up children. And then, <laughs> and then it's never left me. I've always painted and I went to art school. I sold paintings. I um, And that's what I've always liked doing. And well, not since lockdown. I've been doing it more and more professionally for about the last six or seven years. And I suppose if you want to say, what is your main occupation? as far as what do you earn the most money out of? <laughs> I'm a painter now. I mean, but, you know, you went to art school. Have you always thought of yourself in many ways as, well, you know, we, we get told off in this country for being pretentious or, you know, or you can't call yourself an intellectual, but would you call yourself an artist? Yes. And I, I did before, you know, when I did Vic Reeves, I was, that was a piece of performance art. So, um, you know, I was playing a part of a pompous uh, club compare with ridiculous acts. It, w that's why it wasn't like anything else, because I was kind of just doing it for my art school friends. <laughs> going off and you, and you, but you brought a lot of that visual side into it. And that's something actually in this country. A lot of our comedy tends to be quite verbal. It's all yeah. about witty wordplay. But you brought a, a, a really important visual side to what you were doing. You were designing the sets and, and all the strange bits and pieces on your desk and the costumes. Uh, and and a lot of art was with you managed to work it into the show. And, and for me, that was one of the things that made that such an amazing show. Well, thank you. It was. Uh, yeah. And no one had done it 
as far as I know. And I, but I'm no no scholar of comedy. I don't think I, one of the things which probably made it unique is that I had no idea what a comedian would do because I'd not seen any. Well, I think I think that's why you know young people's creativity. That's often the time when they're at their most creative because they don't know what they're, how they're supposed to do it. And they just do well. I'll do it like this, and so this amazing stuff can come out. And then, and then you, and then you think, well, actually, I've learned and I've talked to these people. I should be doing this. And sometimes it, it sort of gets boring. But you, you know, you you've always managed to keep coming up with fresh stuff. In you know, and and obviously, I suppose as long as you're entertaining yourself, then 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 that gives you the fire to keep doing it. Yeah, and and like you were just saying, then I'll pick up on that. I think it is a good thing. If you've got no idea, no clue on what the previous elements of whatever you're doing, if you blind to all that, you, you have to come up with new ideas. That was also Sprach Zarathustra, the opening of that by Richard Strauss. I believe that's how you're supposed to say his name. Richard, but yeah, I've always called him Richard. So let's call him Richard by Richard Strauss. Oh, that was kind of half and half. And it was a choice of my guest here tonight on Charlie Higgs and Friends, the wonderful Vic Reeves. Um, why that piece, Vic? Uh, once again, back to films, I went to see um, 2001 Space Odyssey in, at the cinema. And I, I thought I really, that was the first time I'd heard that music. And I thought, this is fantastic. And uh, I must have been, I think I was about 10. When did that film come out? 69? I think six, yeah, 69, I think, yeah. I would have been 10. And then so. Did the, you see it? I went to see it in the West End in um, Cinerama, which was this huge uh, screen that covered sort of three walls of the cinema. Did you, yeah. would you have seen it there or was it just in your oh, see, local Darlington flea pit? At the, uh, the Odeon, yeah. But it was the first film I went to see on my own. Wow. That was a first. And this is a first as well. Was, I went to the record shop, local record shop, and said, can I have. Um, the music from Space Odyssey, and I came out with Space Oddity, <laughs> David Bowie, which had just come out, and no one knew what it was. So I put it on, I thought, this isn't it. This is awful. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's saved up, spent my, all my pocket money on the first record I ever bought, and it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't oh. that. But then I became super cool at school because I was the first person to buy Space Oddity. Oh. But did you ever then buy, because I... I some point in the early 70s bought the soundtrack to 2001 and for a lot of people that that's a great sort of starting point for, for classical music because it ranges obviously from something dramatic like the Strauss to the yeah. Blue Danube waltz and then into the weirdness of um, Ligeti and and the other stuff that, that, that I mean that's a pretty mind-blowing film to go and see as a as a, I mean it's still yeah. a mind-blowing film now. Well, I'm not convinced that I knew entirely what was going on in it, but I like the look of it. Yeah, I mean, I watched it again recently, and I don't think I don't think there is a meaning to it. No, I mean, I that, you just yeah. got to let yourself go. But the image, the big monolith, and the and the yeah, wandering about it still sticks in my mind, and that piece of music. So it's obviously had some effect. But let me tell you this: that I, in the early '80s, I don't think I really had a clue about classical music because it wasn't taught to me at school. Um, and as you found out, there was only one record. You know? <laughs> so I thought, I want to find out about classical music. So I, I was living in um, New Cross. It would be 1981. And I used to go to the Lewisham Public Library 
where you could rent out records for 10p. And so I would get out something, where a new, some start. So if it was Richard Strauss, I'd start there and then look at the back and the notes would say he studied under someone. Basically, if you like this, you might like this. Yeah. I went through and I loved it. I used to go down on my push bike, rent out a record, go and play it, and then follow the journey of wherever it took me. Like um, surfing the web now, but this was... Yes, it was slightly more cumbersome. It involved a bike, a bike and, a, and, and a, a library. Full of, full of uh, Deutsche Grammophon records. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's interesting you were saying that, you know, you didn't, you thought you hadn't been taught classical music, but you had been. You went to see 2001 and oh, you yeah. were blown away by that piece of music. I mean, that is a, is a lesson. It also tells us that classical music isn't this big, scary thing that unless you've got, three O levels and a, and a degree in cleverness that you can actually enjoy. It's around us uh, uh, all the time. And but going back to something you said earlier, it is a kind of stigma thing, isn't it? It's like, I doubt if the same stigma is attached to someone from Poland, it'd be just like, oh, this is just music and it's good music. Not like, oh, you must be highbrow in this case. Yeah. Well, let us listen to another piece of music. Uh, and this is another of... Vic's Choices um, uh, from Benjamin Britten. It is one of the four C interludes, one of the instrumental interludes during the Peter Grimes opera of Benjamin Britten. That was Dawn, one of the four C interludes from Peter Grimes by Benjamin Britten. And it was a choice of my guest, Vic Reeves, who in this series of Charlie Hickson and Friends is my final guest, uh, sadly, my final guest. And that was one of your choices, Jim. Yeah. W why that music? Well, that's another one. I, I tend to be drawn towards, you know, music that kind of creates an image in my mind, which probably once again comes from films. But uh, it, that sort of... Bleak morning. I think that one's dawn, isn't it? So yes. I just imagine the the North Sea. You know. Yes, uh, Alborough. Have you ever been to the Benjamin Britten Festival in in Alborough? No, I haven't. But I was just going to say this year when we were unleashed from the lockdown briefly mm. uh, in 2020, I, we went for a long weekend to Minsmere and uh, and went and had a look around his place where where he lived with Peter Pears and he's got his big. Um, his, his concert hall and and but there's a huge fabulous marsh behind there and I love marshlands I like going bird watching on marshlands ah. you, you were you were drawn towards the slightly bleak aren't you well the, the bleak mist I don't know if it's bleak mysterious you know ah misty mysterious morning I like the quiet and I think that like this piece of music is like it, it's the nearest you'd get to real elements in music because yeah. It, yeah, I mean, I'm appreciating Benjamin Britten a little bit more lately. I, I I used to find it quite austere. As you say, it's sort of, it is that cold grey North Sea. It, it, it can be quite bracing. I've always lent to more towards the sort of lush romanticism um, of, of, of Vaughan Williams or Elgar when it comes to British music. But um, the, the four C interludes I do listen to quite a lot. 
I, I did a series before here on um, Scala Radio, uh, playing the music that I listen to when I write, because I put together a, a, a playlist for each project I've got, whether it's a book or a film, and it becomes, it's like putting together a soundtrack for that. And pieces like that, the Benjamin Britten, as you say, are, are very atmospheric and, and you know, that, that can certainly put you in the right mood for, for writing. That's what I want. I've on, I have things like that. When I'm painting, I, that's my go-to area in the collection of CDs, which I still do have CDs. What, what, what is it now? Is, uh, cassettes are coming back, aren't they? Well, you know, they always say, isn't it great? The cassettes are back, vinyl's back. It's not really. I mean, uh, the younger generation have them because they think they look cool and funky. But as we know... Cassettes were always a nightmare. They, they, they may be back briefly, and then soon people are going to, re- well, find out for the first time if they're young what a complete waste of time. <laughs> In part one of Charlie Higson's chat with Vic Reeves, we heard an extract of The Dance of the Nights from Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet, performed by the St. Petersburg Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Yuri Temerkanov. That's taken from an album on Signum Records, available to buy at signumrecords.com. We also heard a clip of Mussorgsky's A Night on the Bear Mountain, played by the London Philharmonic Orchestra with Vladimir Urovsky on the podium, available at lpo.org.uk. The next extract was from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, and that was another recording by the St. Petersburg Philharmonic Orchestra and Yuri Temerkanov. And the final clip was from Dawn, from Benjamin Britten's 4C Interludes, performed by the Britten Peers Orchestra, conducted by Stuart Bedford. And those two are both available at signumrecords.com. In the next episode of the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, the Jim, Chin and Vic conversation continues with Charlie and Vic sharing their other names. They also discuss Satie, Shostakovich, going to classical concerts on your own and Vic's first ever comedy gig. The Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast as a series on Scala Radio in April 2021. Scala Radio is a classical music and entertainment station home to Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, Angelica Bell, Penny Smith, Alexis French and me, Anne Frankenstein. You can find us across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, Smart Speaker, Sky TV Channel 0216 and the free Scala Radio app and online at scalaradio.co.uk.